0: This is a pedagogue and D Black digital black lit and composition collaboration. It's a podcast mini series that amplifies black graduate student pedagogies, practices, writings, and lived experiences. Every episode of this mini series is a conversation designed to uplift and celebrate black teachers, scholars, students. Each episode features a new perspective, and each episode highlights the work of black graduate students and their family line of scholars. You can check out D Black at dblack.org. You can follow D Black on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. D Black is an online and in person network of black identified graduate students and advanced undergraduate students in fields related to the study of language. I'm your host, Shane Wood. Let's get started.
1: Don't you love it? Turn it up when you in this just.
0: In this episode I talk with Veronica Joyner. Veronica Joyner is lecturer at Howard University and a PhD candidate in writing and rhetoric at George Mason University with a focus on the rhetoric of health and medicine Her research centers on the rhetoric of black women's bodies, health, and care. Veronica studies and writes about accessibility and technical communication and the socio-historical implications of racism on the rhetoric of health and medicine. Veronica, thanks so much for joining us. I want to give you some space to reflect on the realities of teaching at the intersections of grad school, being a mother, and teaching at a historically black college and university.
1: Sure. Um, well, the reality is that these things take a lot of time and effort and attention, uh, not so much emotional labor. So um, I have two children. They're 11 and 13. They think they don't require a lot of attention, but they still require a lot of attention um, because simply because they don't think they need it. <laughs> There's that, and I have a husband, so it's not like I'm I'm doing it all on my own. It's a family, but I'm the project manager for the most part, right? As a PhD candidate, I'm I'm really focused and to find a space and carve a space for me in in the fields I'm going into, technical communication, rhetoric of health and medicine, and also trying to make it impactful. So my motherhood directly affects what I study as a PhD student. Um, because of my own experience um, giving birth. I now study um, black women's experiences with OBGYNs. And then um, teaching at Howard, well it was at, teaching at Howard University was a it was unexpected because I didn't, I didn't know the opportunity would come. I fully expected to kind of do the PhD, candidacy, go on the market, find the tenure track, and a lecturer position came up in the middle. I asked myself that I could, if I could handle everything and decided that I would handle everything. Um, and so now I'm going into my third year teaching at Howard. I have a four, four load. Um, I teach technical writing, pre-professional it's like, I only have one prep though. I teach the same four classes. Um, and I do, uh, I streamline the process. And at this point, it's like I have a fourth job of like operations efficiency Mm -hmm. manager right? Like, okay, when I plan the semester, I know I have a lot of things to juggle. I'm incorporating peer review in classes. I'm making it so that a lot of the feedback I give students is in class. So there's less grading outside of class. It's a lot of streamlining processes and saying, I can do all these things, but I can't do the most in all of these areas. That's what it's been like for me. At first, I thought it was just me kind of like, I didn't see other black moms in academia. I didn't see other black moms in my program. But as I've started doing research and expanding out, I'm like, no, there are lots of black mamas out here in academia, juggling close to the same workload that you're that you're juggling. I'm glad I'm having the opportunity to talk about it here because I think if I didn't know that I wasn't the only one, you know, with all these balls in the air.
0: I I think there are probably others that didn't know that, but yeah. Your research focuses on Black maternal health, and you mentioned studying Black women's experiences at OBGYNs. Do you mind talking more about this research?
1: To synopsize, my research is about the stories that, kind of competing stories, right? Uh, there's the stories that um, the field of obstetrics tells themselves about, their relationship with black women and with women in general and then there are the stories that black women have about our relationship with OBGYNs and those experiences and uh, part of the goal of my research is to really um, bring those stories out i kind of identify the gaps and see where where you can build a bridge there because as a lot of people know now like black women are four times more likely to die in childbirth than not four i'm exaggerating at least three um, it but they're more likely to die in childbirth um, than basically anyone else in the United States. So I think maybe other than like native indigenous women, the focus of my work um, came from the understanding that I almost died in childbirth, having my first child and reflecting on that experience and then hearing other stories and seeing the similarities. I'm like, okay, there's similarities between my stories and two or three stories that I've just read in the news there's more going on here. And so reading through the literature, you find out there's not, no one's asking black women how we feel about being three times more likely to die, how those experiences affect us, what those experiences do to us and how we think those experiences could be improved, which seems uh, for lack of a better word, like bonkers to me, because especially in technical communication, we're all about usability. It's all about user experience and, Um, to to understand that there's all this literature on it and none of it is focusing on the user's experience or the patient's experience. So um, that's kind of in a nutshell what I do right now. I'm interviewing women and hearing some pretty harrowing stories. Some stories are, you know, little things, but others are kind of terrifying. It's just really important work that I didn't know I was going to be the one to
0: do. You mentioned technical writing, which is your area of expertise in teaching and research. What pedagogies do you embrace in technical writing? Or what are some of your main goals and aims?
1: I actually got into rhetoric of health and medicine through my experience, but also through switching gears from writing center studies to technical writing. Um, mostly because technical writing was so on the ground and involved in people's daily experiences that I just, oh, technical writing is where it's at. It's the most um, satisfying writing to me (laughs) is this writing that helps people do things. And so um, as I got into teaching technical writing and started my PhD work, which was kind of two separate journeys for me that somehow connected as I started teaching technical writing at Howard more consistently Each semester I'm incorporating more of an understanding that technical communication is not objective. It's not just, you know, instructions and directions. And even if it is instructions and directions, those things are not objective. Those things have biases all over the place. They affect people's daily lives. And so um, in my classes, I specifically focus on the effect of technical communication, right? So these are the things that you made. This is how it works in your daily life. Specifically, so I teach in I have an assignment called hashtag techcom fail. And originally it was so broad because it was before I got into my research niche. It was um, just anytime somebody failed to do what they were supposed to do with a piece of technical communication, you have 280 characters to tell me what they did wrong. That was cool. And, and what I got from my students was amazing because, of course, they know what you did wrong. It was a lot of commercials and a lot of cultural insensitivity in commercials, um, but it, it, it was still really insightful on their part. But as I got more into my research, I started narrowing the hashtag techcom fails and doing them in themes, right? And so now we have themes of hashtag techcom fail accessibility, right? And what go find a piece of technical communication that fails to make itself accessible to multiple audiences. Go find a piece of technical communication that fails to be inclusive to a wide audience. Go find a piece of technical communication that does not demonstrate audience awareness, right? And these themes, because I teach an intro to tech writing, and it's not for medical students. It's for I have business students, I have theater students, I also have um, computer science students, and I also have medical students. But they're all mixed into this tech writing class, so we don't get into medical themes. But each semester, I'm like, you need to focus more on showing them the specific ways these documents either open doors or close them. And when they do that, I see, especially some of my medical students, they start coming back to me with brochures that they say, like, this is not accessible to Black women, right? And I'm like, yes, you are telling me good things. Tell me more.
0: How has your research informed your approach to teaching? I'm thinking specifically about your research in Black maternal health, and I'm thinking about your context, about what these conversations and reflections might look like at a historically Black college and university.
1: So I very rarely get into the into the weeds in my own doctoral research in class, um, mostly because we're just... We're steamrolling ahead through material. And I'm so we don't get into those things in particular, but what we do talk about in terms of using technical communication to open and close doors, we talk about how the HBCU is kind of this perpetual door opener, right? That that is one of the purposes and goals of the HBCU life. Like that is um, that purpose-driven action is. It kind of floats in the air at HBC. You're just there and you know we're all here to open doors. Right. And so I say we pardon my my scholars speak in regular conversations, but like what we understand in some research is that uh, Black patients or tend to experience better health better health outcomes when they have doctors that look like them. And so to see Howard as a main producer of doctors that look like them. Is a purpose, right? They they feel that purpose, like wow, you know, black women are being in in a lot of cases, they're being treated terribly, right? And um by people who don't see it that way. These are not people who are saying, mm, Black women, let's treat her bad. These are people who are trusting their medical expertise and thinking of themselves as helpers, doing things that are literally terrorizing <laughs> black women. So uh, when we have these conversations about uh, making technical communication accessible, especially for my students in medical fields, but also in computer science and in other areas of expertise where Black people are less represented, we could get into algorithms of oppression and things like that. But we, I won't. But um, we do have tiny conversations around those. So I have a couple weeks where we talk about um, Walton Jones and Morris technical communication and social justice turn. I use uh, Natasha Jones's um, technologies of disenfranchisement as like a the first article we read to talk about the way. Um, and if you're not familiar, that article is about voting, uh, voting tests and Jim Crow South, right? Tests that you had to take to be allowed to register to vote. Her and Miriam Williams, it's not just her. And so, um, We talk about those articles and we discuss the way social justice and tech comm move in those ways and how the HBCU plays that pivotal role in opening doors and saying, hey, no, you can't do this this way. Even now in the vaccine um, and the push to get everyone vaccinated, right, there's a role for doctors and experts at these HBCUs to act as caregivers with a personal stake in the game to say no this is this is what the vaccine is about you have all sorts of reasons not to trust the medical system but we're we're you and we're telling you we're you know like that community outreach to make sure that people are getting vaccinated and to make sure that health is something available to all people is a purpose that i that i can see my students grasping when we have these conversations even if we're not just talking about like my research.
0: You're speaking a lot to the mission and nature of HBCUs. And there's a lot to be said about the importance of HBCUs for Black communities and composition studies at large. In this moment in time, in what ways would you challenge composition studies to sit back and listen to HBCUs? Uh,
1: we have conversations around rigor and and what subject matters are... Um, universal and what conversations are meant to be had, where the exigence is for conversations. And I would challenge writing studies in general to kind of sit back and say, just because this exigence, or just because I don't immediately see the urgency of this exigence doesn't mean it isn't urgent. And also that the good and the, the purpose that HBCUs have to benefit Black students, Black communities does not just benefit Black communities, right? It benefits everyone. When we learn how to understand our students better, when we learn how to give them a voice, um, when we learn how to help them find where their voice can make the most difference, we are helping everyone, not just Black students. And so to kind of sit back and say, just because I don't immediately see why this is an issue, doesn't mean it's not an issue. And if we're telling you, hey, Black students are experiencing these things, Um, not just Black students, Black professionals, Black scholars, we're experiencing these things in the field. It is important. We would know. (laughs) And and that's kind of a weird way to say it, but we would.
0: How can the Academy support Black teachers, scholars, and students?
1: Hire us. (laughs) And um, I know that's kind of, uh, maybe that's a little trite, but I I do mean it. Like hire us, and I don't mean necessarily that you need that you need a certain ratio of of Black people in your program. But what I mean is, um, when you decide to have conversations, we should be there, and and we shouldn't be there as the Black voice, but we should be there just as another voice in the same way that everyone else is. Um. So, but I think one of the reasons we feel sometimes like we're hired as the black voice is because we're the only one there, right? So the more hiring (laughs) that you do (laughs) uh, of qualified and and really all all the scholars that I know, uh, black and indigenous scholars are are just out here doing amazing work. They're not just, you know, black and in college and saying, hiring me, they are doing things that, that these universities need done. Research that is important to the progress of society, right? So hire us because it's not even just about supporting us. We are supporting you in ways that we've always been supporting American society. And so just recognizing it can help everything move
0: a lot more efficiently and smoothly. Thanks, Veronica. And thank you, Pedagog listeners and followers, for tuning into this Pedagog and D Black Collaboration.
1: I want you to love it, turn it up when you went public. I'm my worst critic. You don't feel it, you won't hear. It. Had you waiting for a minute, just to make sure you were spinning. Last, last song was I, right, but this time coming with a vengeance.
0: That's my good friend Raph Peters, aka Kezo. He's a Houston-based rapper, and that's his single, Liddy. You can check him out on YouTube, youtube.com backslash Kazo Music. That's K-Z-O-E-Music.